Hi, welcome, welcome everyone to Pop Cult X episode 29. Uh, we are Danny and Gabriel once again here to entertain you with our thoughts on pop culture, everything from music, comic books, movies, anything and under the sun really. So um, welcome to our podcast <laughs> once again. We'll go ahead and get started. Let's do this. Let's do it. Yeah. So you said movies, music, film, art, comic books, mm-hmm. regular books. Um, you left off TV. TV. I think I said or TV. Or did you say TV? I, I might have. I don't oh, know. Okay. I went through it really quickly, but <laughs> television. <laughs> well, I just, the only reason I say TV is because it's like, I think that's really, not to quote Peter Griffin from Family Guy, but grinding my gear <laughs> is the fact that Kim Kardashian West was um, able to host Saturday Night Live this past week. Yeah. Um, now, according to what I didn't watch it is my little way of silent protest, but according to what Twitter and the rest of the internet saying is she did a fabulous job and they were applauding her and stuff like that. But that's, I think more of a testament to the actors and the writers that are already on the show. Mm -hmm. I think what I was most upset about is we have all these fabulous actors who they could have chosen from, but they got kim kardashian west it's like they were i don't know if they want i want to say they were grasping for ratings but there had to be a reason why they chose her or selected her to host and i don't know if it was because of her acting chops but (laughs) it just really rubbed me the wrong way yeah i i purposely didn't watch as well um but i we're probably one of the few that didn't it was really high in the ratings <laughs> so it's the highest um ratings i think it said something like 13 percent increase in, in viewers especially mm-hmm. on like downloadable viewable online which is like her niche market right like twitter and right you know all of the social medias uh but saturday night live does have a history of like kind of trolling you know people and getting notorious people on there so like think of that's true elon Elon musk on last season Mm -hmm. was the highest rated Mm -hmm. and he's got the personality of like a lump of coal (laughs) Uh, i know people loved his performance and thought he was hilarious like i don't find him interesting um and then they had donald trump who is an asshole Mm -hmm. um they've had Mm -hmm. Rudy, rudy giuliani they've had like politicians they've had athletes that aren't really smart or intelligent or really good at <laughs> acting but they have a name so i think lauren michaels okay who yeah, executive produces it is really smart in that he gets mm-hmm. people that he knows will get viewers and will you know get yeah. people to watch and then like you said his writers are really good they're you know they're probably the cream of the crop when it comes to young comedic uh, writers and so they make the show funny typically i think that snl has like uh three to four funny skits and then the rest of it is kind of like meh like killer so yeah and so you know so i mean i see why they did it i purposely didn't want to watch it because i I knew that it was going to get a lot of ratings i I don't despise her like i mean i i dislike her because i i don't think that she has a lot of talent outside of marketing and um i don't find that particularly entertaining to watch on a show like snl um Mm -hmm. i know that Part of the controversy that that has risen from her monologue is that she um, alluded to her dad being a famous lawyer on the defense team of O.J. Simpson, and um, O.J. or uh, Nicole Brown Simpson's family is now kind of saying that was 
you know, lowbrow humor that, that, you know, to kind of make fun of that or make light of that situation is mm-hmm. really kind of crass, but it's like, okay, she's famous for a porn and, you know, SNL makes fun of everything. <laughs> what do you expect? So, yeah. So did you right. not think that they weren't going to go for like the, you know, easy laughs? Of course they were. Um, I, I read the joke and it was something about like OJ being the first black man she ever met her. I don't know. But something yeah, like that. Yeah. I read about that. And, and mm-hmm. like, it wasn't like, Oh snap, slap your knee, like hilarious. But, um, I, I probably, I'm not really motivated to go watch like clips of the best of whatever. Um, uh, but, but yeah, like you said, there are more talented people that, that, would probably make a really funny show. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. They That's their gig. Yeah, they do that to kind true. of like just to get attention. And then, um, you know, once you're watching, they they try to come up with co- good little skits. But uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, uh, one of the other things that, that is controversial that I was kind of caught up today and yesterday is, is um, within the comic book realm. Um, so there's a comic that is – the son of Superman. So Superman and Lois Lane have a kid and he becomes like a younger version of Superman. Um, I don't really read it um, because it's, I, I want to say that it probably takes place in an alternate universe where Superman and Lois Lane are married and have kids and like, cause Superman is still has his own comic. So I want to say that mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not like a hundred percent, but anyway, the whole news media focus is, <laughs> That this younger Superman, son of Superman, um, came out as bi or bisexual and conservatives, of course, like, you know, as you would expect, or like their heads are exploding and like, oh, my God, Um, (laughs) you know, and that's true. (laughs) Of course, they have to like pull Dean Cain out of like the swamp wherever he lives of like, like (laughs) lack of notoriety to get his opinion because he played Superman like 50 years ago. Um, and one of the things that it, and his comment, I, I did actually read uh, a comment that he made about it not being, uh, you know, really bold or daring to have have this character come out as bi because it's been done before and it's like kind of pandering and, you know, it, it falls in line with this whole group of comic bookers that are like, you don't want to change canon or like historically the character. Um, you don't want to pander supposedly to like people of color or gay people because it's like for them, that's like the ultimate sin, like, you know, whatever. But what I find is interesting is that do those same people that like object to like, let's say black green lantern or, you know, making wonder woman bisexual or Superman, you know, gay or whatever. Do those same people realize that Dean Kane is actually um, part Asian American, and were they upset when he was announced as the main actor playing Superman? And I mean, I'm pretty sure that Dean Cain was okay with Superman being portrayed by a uh, you know part Asian American, um, and mm-hmm. you know because that was his paycheck. So it's kind of funny that he's aligned with those type of people because I kind of have a feeling that those same people wouldn't probably like if you told them like we're going to recast Superman as an Asian they would flip out. But because Dean Kane is a white passing, you know, part Asian American, it's yeah. okay. So it's like, it's these weird, like boundaries and definitions that they're like, okay, so it's okay if an actor is a person of color, as long as they pass as a white person, um, we can't change Superman <laughs> into a fully Asian. Per- like, it's just weird. Like it's just, it's stupid. And, um, 
I just I hate that it, like every time something happens with a comic book character he has to like run his mouth like he's not a comic creator he's not a writer he doesn't produce or direct stuff like he's literally not involved outside of like he probably goes to conventions to sign autographs to people that are fans <laughs> of a show that a show that's like 50 years old um, and so like, I really wish people would stop paying attention to him and like, oh, did you hear what Dean Kane said? Like I, I tweeted, like, why do people care? Like he's not a factor in anything that it happens. Mm-hmm. Like he's so irrelevant. Let's pretend like he didn't speak. Let's focus on like, you know, for those that are happy about it, which I am one of them, because like the, the thing for me is like, do you not want people of color or like gay or lesbian people to exist at all in comic books? Like, it's not Superman, it's Son of Superman, so it's not making the main character gay. Like, do you not want any characters? So it's not changing the canon. Yeah, like, it's like something, it's new territory. And so, like, they pretty much act like they don't want anything to be, you know, minority or person of, you know, person of color, like, anything different from, like, their binary. And, And it's like, so you're just openly sexist misogynistic racist and homophobic like you're cool with that like and the thing that annoys me is that they don't openly say that they're like they have other reasons to say that why they're against all this stuff but it's like dude like be a big boy and just admit that you're a freaking racist (laughs) like yeah just like stand up for what your little shitty racist beliefs are and then try to defend it which it is like indefensible so then we'll shut shut it down but the good the good side of it is that dc and marvel and like a lot of other comic book producers are continuing to make these really diverse comics so it's like okay you can like kick rocks like you can like hold your breath like they're not going to change so it's like now that the floodgates are open they see the importance of diversity and that people are like consuming it and are really mm-hmm. happy about mm-hmm. it about the representation mm-hmm. in comic books now so you know their opinion is really not important so i don't know that it, it just it really <laughs> irks me because like if you're not a comic book fan like if you, you're you're like on the fringes of like the comic book world then don't have a conversation about stuff you don't know about and if you are part of that comic mm-hmm. book world and you claim to be like you know you're this conservative like superheroes can only be straight white men and the women have to be these like bodacious babes that are there just to like jerk off to in the comic books or whatever then like you're not truly a comic book fan because you would see that like those characters were like badass from the beginning like wonder woman was a feminine icon like from the Mm -hmm. get-go she wasn't there for your like for you to ogle and like say how hot she is and and you know uh you know there was diverse like the x-men like had people of color from like almost the inception i mean not exactly but like fairly close to like the 60s and 70s and and so there are examples of diversity within comics so it's like it's not new it's just that your archaic views are are like still the same and you probably protested it or your grandparents protested it back then and you like picked up where the asshole left off like but get over it <laughs> right. it's like those people who who i hear or saw on twitter complaining about she hulk mm-hmm. or um jane becoming lady thor not realizing that stan lee created those characters back in the day yeah it's not like why do they have to make hulk a woman well we didn't stanley did yeah so, uh, yeah like, you're right. and, just and real comic up. book fans like love she hulk 
Like she's like probably one of the like most beloved characters and like real comic book fans, like they eat that up. Like they're, they're like super huge fans. <laughs> they have a huge following. Like Storm of the X-Men has a huge following. Jean Grey has mm-hmm. a huge following. Rogue. Like these are characters that like are beloved and like they're, I, I don't know. It, it, I, I read a comment about like one of the guys was just like, you know, in my household, there's no feminist. You know, my, thank God my wife is like a conservative, smart, intelligent woman. And she, it's like, so when you read comic books and it's like Supergirl or Wonder Woman or Batgirl, like you don't see that as like a feminist act of their being powerful. <laughs> like they're not there as like a D list character, they're not support supporting characters like they are the fucking hero like Mm -hmm. black widow like they run their own shit too like i don't know it's just i i feel like so many people like that are just trolls try to get their viewpoints in and they're like not real comic book fans they try to talk like they are but like you're really not because you would see that it's been there like (laughs) from the inception like it's it's they've always the superheroines have always been there superheroes that are of varied backgrounds and diversity dimensions have been around for a while and like most of the comic book universes were like created by like jewish men like from new york and like they weren't these like white nazis like printing out like aryan superheroes like they're like jewish guys that like created comics like it, it, it's not your mm-hmm. world. Like if you're like a conservative nazi like racist this isn't your world like you have to find something else Right. Done. That's it. <laughs> Speaking of Jewish people in New York, you just popped the memory into my head. I was watching Family Guy, this most recent edition of Family Guy, and they did a little like a crossover reference to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel because mm-hmm. you know um, Alex Borstein plays the voice of Lois and she's also in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So Peter Griffin said something like Mazel Tov to like Quagmire getting engaged or something like that. And Lois is like, Mazel Tov, where did you get that? And Peter was like, you, you should know that Lois from the marvelous Mrs. Mazel Tov. It was just funny. She reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah. And she's so great. Like she's probably my favorite character on that show. She's a, so good mm-hmm. on it. I, I, I yeah. love her on that. Um, but kind of, you know, going back, you know, into what our last podcast was about was celebrating, you know, Hispanic heritage and excellence within pop culture. Um, there are some heroes that, you know, I would like to talk about. And I know that you have some that you would like to talk about that we grew up watching that uh, sort of broke boundaries and really uh, influenced us and entertained us. And um, why don't we Mm -hmm. go ahead and get started into that? So this is like, I think, round number two or like our second go round of, you know, Latino excellence in pop culture um, part two. This is like 70s, 80s and 90s. So like excellent. Right. Yeah. Like we're we're, you know, Latin excellence um, where, you know, we kind of left off. (laughs) And um, so I'll go first, like if you don't mind, um, because it kind of go for it you know kind of blends in or transitions from what we're talking about wonder woman is linda carter like from Mm -hmm. i think one of some of my earliest memories is watching wonder woman and um being like so infatuated and in love with her and like she just linda carter like was like a perfect wonder woman just like beautiful like kind caring like just badass and um it was just super 70s and and 
um, she is um, half Mexican. Her mom is uh, is Mexican, and um, just seeing that it was like you know, a good representation of a Latina person that's not stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Like she's a superhero. Obviously I'm like a superhero nerd. So like I immediately <laughs> loved that show and loved her. Um, and since then, like she's just been someone that has, you know, with her singing, with additional acting, she's um, been a really good role model for people. She's very accepting and um, supportive of the LGBT community. And, um, you know, it just, I, I love her. I think she's a really cool person. She's still beautiful even to this day. And, um, she was probably the first Hispanic person that I saw on television that I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Like she looks like us and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and not a lot of people know that she's actually Hispanic because, you know, Carter is her last name, right. but, um, but she is, she's very proud of her Mexican roots. Like I've seen her accepting awards in Mexico and speaking Spanish and, uh, they open, you know, accept her with open arms and she really embraces that culture and, and is very proud of her heritage and of her mom. Um, she recently tweeted something about her mom, you know, being the reason that she's proud of her heritage and has taught her so much and is her hero. And, and I love seeing it because, you know, moms are, are so important within the Latino community. They're like the backbone of the mm-hmm. family. So it kind of warmed my heart to see, you know, someone speaking very kindly about their mom, but I love her still to today. To today I still <laughs> consider her my wonder woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. What about you? Well, who, oh, who's man. on your list? Well, just sticking in the TV realm and it's one of the characters that I remember. Um, I used to watch the show a lot and it's, a sh- it's Eric Estrada from chips. Now he's, you know, punch as the character he played in the show. I remember seeing him, you know, riding on a motorcycle. I always thought, oh, that guy's so cool. I want to be like him one of these days. You know, he just had that suave style. Now he's a, he's a Puerto Rican who was raised in New York, but he's, I guess he's just, I don't know, he encapsulated to me. And I guess at the time of growing up, I didn't really, like we, we've talked about before, didn't identify as what a Mexican or a Hispanic person was, but I just always thought that he was really cool. Yeah. So, and I always thought that I wanted to be like him. I, at a young age, not even knowing that he shared like some sort of, I shared some sort of Hispanic roots with him. So I think that stood out to me in the TV side of things. Yeah. Now in the, just transitioning real quick to the music side of things. Now this person's on your list as well. And why I'm, this is why I'm bringing her up is um, I think when I think of eighties music and I think Hispanic or Latinx music, my first thought was Gloria Estefan. Mm-hmm. And she was just so huge. And I was just listening to a lot of her songs when I was doing research for this and with the Miami Sound Machine, of course. But she was just so, so huge and so pivotal role in creating that sound from Miami and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your thoughts on her and her career? Well, so I I, I do love Gloria Stefan. She is someone that, that um, I loved her music since a kid. Like, I especially liked mm-hmm. her music in... Um, in Spanish. So her album, uh, Mi Tierra, um, was one of, was one of my favorite albums of hers. Um, just having that Latin jazz, like salsa sound, like Mm -hmm. was something that like I bonded, like further bonded with my dad, um, out because he loves like salsa and Latin jazz. Uh, we, you know, went to concert of hers together and saw, you know, saw her play live and, and her band, um, the Miami sound machine is like an incredible band, like just top musicians, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as a person, I think she's, she has like a very kind, like 
soul. Like, you know, she's very maternal. Like you, you can kind of, uh, I don't know. She just emanates a sort of sweetness about her. Like her contemporaries were like Madonna and, uh, you know, people of that, you know, same time. And Mm -hmm. whereas Madonna Mm -hmm. kind of comes off as like this diva, Gloria Stefan, I think is just, (laughs) you know, is is like just a really cool, like down to earth. yeah. Yeah. Like kind of person, uh, Recently, I, I've sort of respect her um, as her the role as host of Red Table Talks. Um, so she hosts a show with her cousin and with her daughter Amelia Stefan, who um, they talk very honestly about you know their their life and and uh, different topics. Okay. And the topic of Amelia Stefan coming out as a lesbian came up, and uh, they were really honest, and they said that uh, Gloria did not have the best reaction. Um, I think she, she reacted like, you know, you can't tell your, your abuelita she's going to die. Like this is going to kill her. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that they shared, they had that conversation. They shared it because I think that, that although it wasn't my experience, I think that it is an experience that many LGBT people that are also Latino experience is like that family dynamic of like, you know, okay, mm-hmm. you come out, but like you can't come out to certain family members because like that's just going to hurt them so much because Latinos are, you know, historically very religious, very like conservative in some ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and we have to talk about like those uncomfortable situations where like, okay, maybe like your mom's not comfortable or your grandmother. They've now obviously she's accepted her, love her daughter and, and she's very open you know about that transition that she had to like maybe not having such a great reaction to it to now coming full to full terms with it um because that is a realistic you know it's not we don't live you know fantasy lives where everyone has a positive reaction i was lucky to have very open parents that had uh, a very positive reaction to me coming out but not everyone does and we have to have that conversation mm-hmm. so that like other people can be like oh, okay gloria thinks like me like i didn't have a great reaction but like let's see how she worked through it and like her you know the uh, amelia's abuelita came to terms with it and and um it's like a teachable moment for the rest of like the latino community and uh, and so I really respected her about that because it would be really easy for them to say like, you know, oh, let's not talk about this. Like that's family business. Like let's keep that private, you know, and or try to put up a front that that from the get go she was really uh, accepting right. of, of her. Um, and but but you know she shared it, and I think that that's important because she is an icon and is an influencer within the Latino community, especially I think within the Cuban American community, which tends to be like even more conservative than other mm-hmm. Latino households. Uh, and it's an important lesson to like accept your gay children or family members, um, regardless. They're still your kids, and I think that like the majority of like. Latino families like will eventually get to that because they're so strong and the bonds are so strong within the family dynamic. But obviously there's horror stories of people that like their families never come around. Um, But I respect her for that. I respect her for her honesty and for her helping other people to have that talk um, and come to terms and, and see the importance of accepting your children as they are. Yeah, I think I think you said it right there. That's so. There's there's people who are role models for the people who are coming out, right? Mm-hmm. And they have that. They see that, so that gives them the strength and the encouragement that they might need to get past that. But I think she, like you mentioned, 
is a role model for those people who have children who are coming out to them to, you know, it's okay to accept it and it's okay to feel a certain way for a time because it's, I guess, for some people, a natural feeling. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can see that how that's why she is wonderful in that role. Yeah. That she was able to provide that space for those people who might be sharing that same feeling that she already went through. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. So, um, she's definitely someone that I, I still admire and still listen to her music. I still love a lot of her, that, <laughs> that album in particular, I just, I think will always be one of my favorite albums of hers. Um, just because I, I love that, that Latin salsa mm-hmm. jazz feel. So, um, someone else on my list, um, that is an icon within the Latino community is Edward James Olmos. Um, he's mm-hmm. a Mexican American actor, director, um, I, I first, I think, got to know him as an actor or, or saw his work on Miami Vice. Like that literally was like my dad's favorite show. Like he put it on. I think, I don't remember <laughs> if it was like Friday nights or Saturday night, but it was like primetime television. We like always sat down. Mm-hmm. I don't know how appropriate it was for me to be watching it as a kid. Uh, but, you know, it was you know the cool like colors and like i mean it, it the show itself is iconic for the style and the music and the action um but edward Greensill almost was on there and and he was sort of like in a power position as uh you know as as the character himself i think what he was like mm-hmm. probably like the lieutenant or chief of police i don't know what it was um but they reported to him and um so yeah. it was cool to see the latino in like a, a powerful role and um and then in other movies that he he played um uh what is it stand and deliver where he plays um a teacher mm-hmm. uh, a real mm-hmm. life teacher <clears throat> that mm-hmm. helps kids within uh predominantly latino mexican american community you know get through their sats learn calculus um and then go on to college um and that was another really iconic you know inspirational movie that says like oh yeah you know people are going to put you in a box people are going to say that you have limits um to how far you can go but as a latino community we can do better we are you know undefinable and we can go above and beyond the expectations that people put on us so mm-hmm. don't let those boundaries or uh those people you know put you in a box um but i love that movie it's such a great movie uh, oh yeah that movie is on my list. Yeah, it's such a great movie. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean it's it's a movie I remember watching, and you know the Nine Finger Man. I could do my <laughs> math with the nine fingers, and it was just I just I tell that to like my nieces and nephews. They're looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm talking about doing your nine tables with your fingers. So yeah. it's like nine times one is twenty seven. Nine times three, whatever. Yeah, and it's just so wonderful. And he he was uh, I think nominated for best actor for that role. So um, he that movie was on my list, and I think I read somewhere that it was. Um, what was it? It was like selected or it was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and deemed by the Library of Congress selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry. So that wow. just shows how cultural significant the movie was mm-hmm. in portraying, like you said, the the lower, um, I guess, uh, how would you call it, classify the school? So it's a lesser school district or the school is, you know, from a poorer neighborhood. So it was a lot of work, but it just shows that the kids in that class in that school and even still today from neighborhoods like that, they're not dumb. They just lack the opportunity to show how, um, 
far they can go. Yeah, they they lack and the, I think that the really resources really well. and mm-hmm. um, they also lack teachers that believe in them. And so when you don't yeah. have you know someone as an instructor or as a teacher walk into a class thinking that you can mm-hmm. achieve success or achieve greatness, like then how how do you how do you do that? It, it takes a very exactly. uh, motivated individual to like overcome those type of obstacles. But um, you can see, and that's a great example of when you have someone that believes in you and is in your corner and is pushing you to greatness that, that, you know, the Latino people can, can achieve greatness. And I mean, it sounds like so silly to be like, yeah, we can actually do great stuff, but um, it it's like, it takes those movies to break stereotypes of like, well, Mexicans aren't good at math or, you know, Mexicans can't go into Ivy League schools or do well on their SATs. And it's it now seems like such a ridiculous, you know, idea to like even say something like that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, but that was a thing that was like people actually had to break stereotypes by performing well in school because people thought that we couldn't do it. So. uh, So, yeah. Who else is on your list? Well, sticking with movies, and you mentioned this last episode, um, Blood In, Blood Out, Mm -hmm. also known as Bound by Honor. Now, that was on my list. And the reason it was on my list mainly was because I went to um, my high school, had like the creative school, School for Creative and Performing Arts. So they brought in the director and the three um, lead actors to talk to us. Oh, wow. So that that was like my first experiment. So getting to hear from Benjamin Bratt from um, who was a Damien Chapa and Jesse Borrego along with the director, uh, Taylor Hickford, I think. Mm-hmm. So, and we got to go, we even got to ask some questions. It was a, a whole day. So like not a whole day, but a whole, you know, experience. It was really cool. But watching the movie and seeing Taylor Hackford, not Hickford, um, seeing the movie and how it, you know, these three kids from a street gang in East LA from, you know, the early late seventies, early eighties and seeing what they had to go through and, you know, how they were, how like, you know, that same where blood is thicker than water or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, how, um, we're bound to each other through blood and that's whether we like it or not. So we always have to stick with family and whatnot. And it just, it was a, it was an interesting movie. I watched. I really should go back and revisit that movie in my adult life now, just to see if it still hits the same way as when I saw it as a teenager. Yeah. And um, but I always appreciate the fact that I got to meet the actors and the director, and yeah. that really stuck with me. Yeah, it's really cool, and I, I think that it speaks to the like the willingness of Latino actors to like go back into the community and to reach out to the community. To you know, to show that they also can shoot can achieve that success. I've met Edward James almost mm-hmm. a couple times, and he's always cool. been very active in the community and like very approachable and and uh, very active in trying to like uplift the youth in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I could have said I, I've met Linda Carter like maybe one day, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it's great that that you know it it shows that they still have ties to their heritage and that mm-hmm. uh, they they want to help their community move forward. So that's really great. Yeah. Um, the next person that I have on my list is a Cuban American director um, by the name of George Romero, and he is sort of like the king of zombie films. He mm-hmm. uh, made Night of the <laughs> Living Dead. It's it's sort of like what put zombies pretty much on the map. 
Uh, you know, I have mm-hmm. my my love hatred relationship with zombies, but uh, <laughs> he is the the genius behind um, Night of the Living Dead, which is like a metaphor for like all kinds of things, like the rich and the poor, you know, racial inequality, and you know, mm-hmm. just a scary horror movie. And um, it's someone that that you know, uh, I love that that even though he is Latino, that it it's like his film is not just like okay i'm gonna make latino movies or i'm you know it it he can't pigeonhole him obviously now like okay he's he's the king of that genre of movie as far as horror or um zombie films but it's not his ethnicity that has sort of pigeonholed him into a certain type of genre of films um so that's what i really admire Mm -hmm. him and i i really like that when people can kind of go outside of like expectations uh, and do things that are like not expected of us as Latino people. Like, which is not to say that I don't admire or respect, you know, like Gloria Stefan doing Spanish music in Spanish, but like she also like dominated pop music. And um, mm-hmm. that is unexpected for a Latina singer. Like, I think the expectation was like, stick to salsa, you'll do good as that, as a Cuban. <laughs> and, you know, and, right. and it's like, no, like, I'm going to infuse my music with salsa rhythms and Latin rhythms and um, kind of redefine, you know, the, that genre of Latino music. Um, but I think it's just I, I admire him for for creating that genre of film and then doing it really intelligently and making a movie that is considered like a classic, like classic movie, classic mm-hmm. horror movie, classic zombie movie. However mm-hmm. you want to look at it, it's just like the best zombie movie that's ever been made. Yeah, I agree. Um, also sticking with film. So this director, uh, he created a few movies in this, I guess you'll call it a trilogy. So it started out with El Mariachi. And then this movie that I'm talking about is Desperado, but of course, by the acclaimed director, Robert Rodriguez. Now, Robert Rodriguez, to me, is like one of my favorite directors. Just his his style, his shooting style, his editing style, his writing. It's just everything that you know I could aspire to be at one day. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> but it's uh, Desperado was um, how can I describe it? It was it's like a if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a western Mexican western film, kind of. It has that whole vibe to it, and Antonio Banderas is just excellent in this movie. And it, I don't even know how to say the right words for it. I just, I just really love the movie. I think I love the soundtrack to it as well. Yeah. So it's one of those things that it's just the whole package to me is excellent. Yeah. And I'll just stop there because I'm just going to fumble words. Yeah. I think it's like a great action (laughs) revenge film because I think both the character played by Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek are done like dirty Mm -hmm. by like a drug Lord and they seek the revenge. I think the character Mm -hmm. that Antonio Banderas plays and Mariachi is like the, he's a musician that because of the horrible things that are done to him becomes basically an assassin or like a killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> uh, it's like the really cool visual of like him opening his guitar case and like, it has like a trap door and there's yeah. all these like guns and weapons. And um, it, it, I agree. It was just a really cool movie. I think that Robert Rodriguez is an icon in film for his, not only the aesthetic of like his films, but like the do it yourself um, approach like he famously yeah. did mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i think his first mi- film um 
El Mariachi for like less than $5,000. Mm-hmm. So it's like the perfect example of like, you want to do it, go out and do it, buy a camera, go out and do it. Hire yeah. some, you know, have some friends be in the movie, like do the soundtrack yourself. Um, and that is so admirable. And like to see his career go from like $5,000 budget to like multi-million dollar movies, like working <laughs> with Disney, you know, doing, you know, family films and, and I think he's sort of known as like the go-to for like these really cool hip kid films like Spy Kids, um, mm-hmm. Shark Boy, Lava Girl, like movies that like aren't going to bore the parent to death. Like they're really cool like visual <laughs> movies and they have sort of like a, you know, like a tongue in cheek, like really cool vibe to them. Um, so I, I am a huge fan of his. I also love the soundtracks to all of his movies um, and mm-hmm. one of my other famous or favorite movies is of his is from dust till dawn where he collaborated with oh, Quentin yeah. Tarantino. I was just watching that the other day. Yeah. yeah. Um, Quentin Tarantino script and then also starring in Quentin Tarantino. Um, and then he had like other, you know, icon actors like Cheech Marin in it. And he has like an awesome role in, in from dust till dawn is like the, the street barker for the strip club. And, uh, <laughs> And, and uh, if you can find it anywhere else, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And, and uh, and 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 Sama Hayek, which was sort of like his muse for like a while. Um, she was also mm-hmm. in um, the faculty, um, in four rooms that he directed, like a portion oh, of uh, his story, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, mm-hmm. so it was really cool to see like his relationship with Sama, like, and and they've both you know exploded into like huge icons like within you know the movie making industry so um so yeah i i love rob rodriguez and i love his films and and his uh soundtracks as well really cool yeah he's he's going to be directing or has directed a few episodes of the book of boba fett that's going to be coming out on disney plus nice. so that's a little star wars you know toss in there yeah yeah i probably won't watch it because i'm not a star wars <laughs> geek but uh, the other person on my list and, and i think the last one that i'll probably mention um is um someone that i think that you would probably like or might be a fan of as well um because he comes from like a theater background uh, he's definitely like a performer's performer or like an actor's actor um because he writes directs uh you know puts on plays and and uh, that's john leguizamo um, and mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. is someone that, that I really became a fan of, of like his comedy, like plays and acts like one man shows, um, where he like plays everything from like himself as a young kid to like a female where he like puts on a wig and he's in drag, but he like, you know, kind of makes fun of Latino women, but in such a loving way that it's like, it's hilarious, but it's not insulting at the same time. Um, I've actually, mm-hmm. again, was able to 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 meet him, and he's a really cool guy. Um, was very down to earth and like not arrogant at all, even though he's a very accomplished actor. Um, one of my favorite films um, is Tu Wong Fu, where he um, mm-hmm. plays Chichi Rodriguez, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's such a <laughs> hilarious movie. Like it is Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, and John Leguizamo mm-hmm. in drag, like going across the country and then ending up in some like kick, you know, town, and like the people not knowing that they're drag queens, they think that they're real women. It just it's mm-hmm. hilarious. It's like one of the funniest movies ever, um, and uh, I I think he's just a, he's uh, a great all around performer. I mean, he can dance, he can, you know, act, mm-hmm. he can write, he can direct, he can, I mean, he do so many different things and he's funny. 
um, which is really hard to, you know, I think people underestimate the talent of being a comedic actor or being a comedian. And he's definitely one of the funniest comedic actors out there. Um, and so, yeah, so he made it on my list. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, anything from like Carlito's way to like, mm-hmm. um, like you said, Tu Wong Fu. I remember when Tu Wong Fu came out in the movie theater, I was working at a movie theater at the time and we had people coming in drag to watch the movie. So oh, really? it was wow. like, <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. I was like, and you just see the stares from all the other audience um, people just looking because there's like these six and a half, six foot tall ladies just walking through in yeah. full evening gowns to just watch the movie. It was, it was really cool. That's hilarious. Um, but he also can play, he also played what in like an Italian guy in um, Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, which, you know, it's, it's coming to um, the forefront again because they're talking about making an animated Super Mario Brothers with Chris Pratt playing Mario. So I, you know, but he's, he's such a great actor. And I think he surprises you with, oh yeah, he was in that. Mm-hmm. He was in that. Oh yeah, he did the voice of um, in Ice Age. So it's like, He's just so um, – his resume is so prolific that I think it's just – he's one of our cultural icons, I think. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, he was in – another one was Romeo and Juliet that he was in that was yeah, like really that's right. good. He played Bernardo, right? Yeah. Or, I forget. Not Bernardo. Yeah. So. I, don't, I don't remember. But he was like really good in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tybalt. He played Tybalt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, he's like, he's, he's, he's like one of those people that like, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know what awards he's won, but like, he's one of those people that like deserves like to have like an EGOT to have like the Emmy Grammy Oscar Mm -hmm. Tony. Like Mm -hmm. he's, he's definitely like up there for me. He's like one of the best for sure. Yeah. I remember one of my favorite roles for him. He played like a sous chef in the movie chef with John Farfaro, where they, you know, travel cross country in their, um, taco truck or whatever you want to call it and Mm -hmm. yeah it's just he i just admire him and his acting chops and his writing chops so yeah he's a great addition to this list yeah definitely nice anyone else uh two last people on my list now these were our cultural icons that i know i might not have watched them as much as the millions of other people have but they're two tv um show people one was walter marcado salinas and his stage name was like Shanti Anala. He's the the astrologer, actor, dancer, writer. You know, um, he was best known for his um, TV show where he's an astrologer, where he did the whole mucho, mucho amor. And that was like his ending calling card. And I remember, you know, I flipped through enough TV throughout my life to have caught him on there. And it, I think there was a recent documentary on netflix about him too mm-hmm. and it just shows how um impactful he was to that whole community and the second person also can be described as like the latin oprah mm-hmm. and that was uh christina maria saralequi I, I don't know how to say her last name <laughs> but she's a cuban-born american journalist and tv personality and she had the talk show el show de cristina yeah. for 21 years mm-hmm. she did that talk show and i remember flipping through channels again as younger and seeing her talk show i didn't understand what was going on because i didn't speak spanish but to see her daily for so long you knew she was powerful and you knew she um must be very poignant and very beloved to stay on the tv for for that long. So those are the last two that were on my list for entertainers for this go around. Yeah. I, I, I can't say that I was influenced by them too much because I, I, 
Walter, I think like a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, like he was always on, like my grandmother watched. My grandmother like always had like <laughs> exactly. the news on, like she did, she wasn't like a big like Spanish television or Spanish, yeah, Spanish language television watcher. She always just watched like the local news and then like the TV was off. Mm-hmm. So I never saw it there. And then like my mom and my dad like didn't really watch like Spanish language television so i never really wasn't aware of him until like recently um when i watched the documentary and it was a really oh yeah um, okay it was a really interesting film like he's a really interesting person um mm-hmm. i think that it, it's a great documentary like i recommend anyone that's not familiar with his work to watch it and see what a, a huge cultural impact that he had not only to the latino community but like the world um yeah and then christina i think like i i want to say that i even remember a quote from oprah being like Christina is not the Latin Oprah. Like I'm the American Christina. (laughs) Like at one point, like she is bigger than Oprah. And and I thought like, that was really cool. Like you, I mean, I didn't understand the language. So I never watched Christina, but I mean, I know, I know of her. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I, I mean, it just, I, I think that within like the Latin community, like talk shows, are like very popular, like the drama of like reality show type stuff, like really hits the community. Like they, we love watching that type of stuff. Um, and Christina is mm-hmm. like the queen of that. Uh, and so, yeah, so those are definitely two people that, that um, are icons. Another thing that like, I think is interesting about them is I think both Walter and Christina kind of represent the, you know, our exa- uh, examples of how, um, the Latino community like goes from like the darkest dark to like the whitest white. Cause like you see Christina and you see like, she doesn't really look like a stereotypical Latina. Like she, I think she has blue eyes, like blonde hair and blue eyes. And like Walter had like light Brown blonde hair, depending on, you know, whatever. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) and, and you, you can kind of see with the people that we, we talked about, like, the Latino community is so diverse. Like we have like Afro Latinos, we have like white Latinos, we have, you know, mestizos or indigenous uh, mm-hmm. Latinos. And, um, and I think that's what makes us so, so um, interesting is, is that we like have so much diversity within our community and uh, it's, it shows in the people that we mentioned. And it also shows in, in the art and the work of all of those, those people and of our community. So it's really cool to kind of, visit that subject and talk some, about some of the people that have been influences on our personal life. Yeah. Um, and um, I think next week we're going to be talking about people that are like the modern day, like soon to be mm-hmm. icons, like people mm-hmm. that are like, mm-hmm. that are popular now. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I'm kind of interested to hear what, who you're listening to, watching, reading <laughs> that is um, from the Latino community. Um, I know I already have like a couple people on my list that I can't wait to talk about. So um, for our listeners. Well, one, yeah. One thing that's another show. Okay. So this is, it's a new show, but it's set in 1984. So I was kind of tempted just to throw it in uh-huh. to this grouping, but I think I'll save it. It's the show Acapulco on Apple plus. Okay. So it's set in 1984 Acapulco. There's only two, only two episodes have been released so far. Mm-hmm. So it's just brand spanking new. And it was, it's fun. I mean, it's campy, it's, you know, lighthearted and it's not meant to be serious yet, but it follows, um, Maximo, a character who's trying to improve his life and his family's life by taking a job at, um, I think it's the, 
at one of the famous resorts that's set in, in Acapulco. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. They got the lounge singers, you know, they got the, the everything that you would expect to see at a resort. Think like um, Jane the Virgin type of show, mm-hmm. but in Acapulco, hmm. you know, so it's bilingual because they, according to the owners, they're not allowed to speak Spanish on the resort ground. So it's English oh. only on the resort, but then Spanish outside. So it's, it's a really cool show. Um, I recommend going to watch it. If you haven't seen it yet, it's Acapulco and I'll probably talk about more of it next week, but just wanted to throw that in there. Cause we're mentioning the eighties. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like uh, recommendation for people to watch um, right now. I think squid game is still really hot. Like people are still watching that mm-hmm. catching up. Did you get a chance to finish it? No, I, I, I didn't watch um, Squid Game yet. <laughs> I know I said I was going to, but I didn't get a chance to. I was watching the movie Free Guy, though. I don't Free know guy. if you've seen that one yet. Free Guy with uh, Ryan Reynolds and oh, yeah, Noel yeah, yeah. Howery. And, oh, it's such like a, a great game. movie. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, being the video game nerd and the um, pop culture, there's so many different pop culture references in there as well. And it's it's just so fun. It's just, you know, you don't go into it thinking it's going to be a profound um, masterpiece of dramatic arts, but yeah. you go into it for what it is and it delivers on that. It's just very fun. I enjoyed it so much. And I think I rented it on Amazon Prime, but then I realized, oh, wait, I think I bought the movie. Oh, really? <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I get to watch it over and over again. So, and it's cool because there's a lot of different little Easter eggs or hidden gems that I can look for. And it's, yeah. it's just really cool. Nice. I'll have to check it out. I, I forgot that that was released. And I remember seeing the previews and being like, oh, this looks like it will be funny. Um, but it was like not something that I was like rushing to go see. But now that you know you say that it's good, <laughs> I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, it, it is what it is. And it's, like I said, you don't go expect, go in there expecting to be moved to yeah. tears or whatever by it but it's 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 very fun it's a good ride i enjoyed it nice but cool. i also saw f9 fast and the furious 9 and uh not good <laughs> i mean i saw the other eight so i might as well watch number nine but yeah. uh oh man I don't <laughs> do you uh, watch american uh, dad no so there's an episode of american dad where the young kid on the show um, yeah well i know the characters yeah yeah him and his nerd friends find this script for fast and the furious and it's like um it's it they're like oh we have to like make this because you know it was like the lost script and it's like super (laughs) homoerotic and they're like the characters like (laughs) just start having like sex or making out with each other for no reason. And it's the funniest thing ever because it's like the movie, like they're kind of like, like that already, but like this just like takes it to one lot, not one notch. And like before they edit out the like overly, overly sexual stuff. So it's kind of Uh funny. It's definitely like one of the funniest bits that they've ever done on the show. And they're like, me and they're like, Oh my God, this is awesome. (laughs) So yeah, it's really funny. That's funny. Uh, well, I think that wraps up what I had for this week. You have any other parting thoughts? No, I, I mean it's we're we're like moving through October, so I've been watching like looking for horror movies. Um, so if oh, anyone nice. has uh-huh. any like recommendations for some like uncovered gems that they've seen recently, like I've 
probably have seen most horror movies that are, you know, worth watching. So um, if there's anything out there that <laughs> um, you have seen that you would recommend, I see that like maybe, uh, you know, is not super popular or like kind of fell off to, to the wayside. Um, let me know via our social, social media channels. Um, you know, I would love to hear any good recommendations for me to watch for October um, because it's definitely like my favorite month to watch scary movies or shows, right movies and shows too, yeah, or books or <laughs> comics or anything scary. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, what I see, it's spooky season, which is different than scary season or something like that, right? Yeah, I don't know. there's so, people saying the difference between spooky and scary. Uh, same same thing for I mean I think spooky is like maybe more fun versus scary is like a serial killer is about to kill you. I don't know. It's kind of the same maybe. to me. Like <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't know how to define it. Like that just I don't know. But um I love scary movies, so um yeah, I'm gonna keep looking for I think anything we, cool. We should do an episode after we're done with this little mini series arc on scary movies. I think a couple of weeks from now we can do that before Halloween. And it's over. um yeah, before that hit, yeah. Uh, one thing, have you seen Hell House LLC? Um, I want to say that I have. It sounds really familiar. It's where Is they, it like a it's documentary? Like a, yeah, mockumentary about yeah. like um, people who do a haunted house and things go astray. Yeah. yeah it's That was interesting. Yeah, I just I don't know why that popped in my head. I don't know. Yeah, we'll I, I, I saw one this weekend. Uh, and it was it was kind of an interesting take on witches. It was in uh, alternate universe where in the United States witches exist, and any practicing witch is uh, illegal. So like a lot of them go to Mexico and are accepted in Mexico. So there's like a border wall for witches, and they <sighs> test young girls to see if they're witches. Um, and it's like, you're okay if you're a witch and you naturally have these abilities, as long as you don't use the magic. Um, and then it, there's like sort of like an underground railroad for witches to get them out of the United States. Um, I don't remember what it was called. I want to say like, it was like the witches or like the witch hood. I don't know, something like that. Um, but it was kind of, it was, it was pretty interesting. I mean, it wasn't like spectacular, but it was kind of cool uh, to see like a take on how like, you know, if women had this magical power, which is like typically like the theme of witches is like women who have these extraordinary gifts and talents and then are like prosecuted mm -hmm. by men before by, you know, for yeah. being too powerful and like, mixing it as like a metaphor for like race and you know like just people who are persecuted and like taking like the underground railroad and and like border towns and like the border wall and applying it to like witches which is kind of interesting hmm. so i don't remember the name of it but yeah. if you like google the, oh. i'm sure you'll find it <laughs> i'm gonna have to now because yeah. you don't remember the name <laughs> I, i'm old i don't remember names and movies i'm like my dad now i'm like you know the one about witches like the border, um, the craft. <laughs> no, not the craft. The other one about witches. Um, the, witches the witches with Angelica Houston. No, not that one. That one's a little kids movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's me now. So cool. Okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah, only I could like well, write right things on. down to remember it. But yeah, I like to be spirited. Oh, I know. Yeah, I hate writing things down and then I can't remember what I should have written down. And it's like, oh, 
Yeah. I should have written that down. Yeah. Age. Yep. Oh, well. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we go to Wallow in our old age and uh, our seniority, um, I want to thank everyone for listening <laughs> once again <laughs> to these old Gen Xers. Um, wax poetic about pop culture. Um, so hit us up on social media once again. You know, thank you for listening to us. Um, please follow us, like, subscribe, do all of that. Um, and then we'll see you next week. Yeah. Stay safe out there, everyone. Bye. <laughs>